Good morning, and welcome to the radio broadcasts of the Brinesburg Missionary Baptist Church.
Have fun with this one.
go tell it on the mountain over the hills and everywhere go tell it on the mountain that jesus christ is born while shepherds kept their watching oh silent flocks by night behold throughout the heavens there's shown a holy light go tell it on the mountain over the hills and everywhere go tell it on the mountain that jesus christ is born the shepherds feared and trembled when low above the earth rang out the angel chorus that hailed our savior's birth go tell it on the mountain over the hills and everywhere go tell it on the mountain that jesus christ is born down in a lowly manger the humble christ was born and god sent a salvation that blessed christmas morn go tell it on the mountain over the hills and everywhere go tell it on the mountain that jesus christ is born from the top and go tell it on the mountain over the hills and everywhere go Tell it on the mountain that Jesus Christ is born. That Jesus, that Jesus Christ is born. That Jesus Christ is born. Amen. someday walk on water mary did you know that your baby boy would save our sons and daughters did you know that your baby boy has come to make you new this child that you soon deliver you Mary did you know that your baby boy would give sight to a blind man Mary did you know that your baby boy would calm the storm with his hand did you know that your baby boy has walked where angels trod 
When you've kissed your little baby, you've kissed the face of God, Mary, did you
I've mentioned before that if you sung that song, you have sung Latin. Today you'll be listening to the message preached by our pastor, Brother Brad Walker, during our Sunday morning worship service. May God bless you as you listen to his message. to Matthew chapter 2 this morning, Matthew chapter 2, as we think about what the proper response to the coming of Jesus really is, and as we think about what the proper response anytime we come before Jesus, it's to come and worship. As you're turning there with me to Matthew 2, let's go to the Lord in prayer together. Lord, Heavenly Father, we thank you again today for the opportunity to sing, to pray, to give, and now an opportunity to open up your word and to have you teach us. And Lord, sometimes we come to the Christmas narratives and they can become almost old hat to us. But Lord, we pray that they would never be true, Lord, that we would have our hearts ready and open to a new and a fresh see what you want to speak to us about from these powerful passages of Scripture. And Lord, today, as as we focus in on the Magi, Lord, I pray that we would have that same heart, that as we recognize your coming, that our response would be to worship. Lord, that that would be our only response, would be to worship you, not to push you away, not to try to be the God of our own lives, but Lord, that we would just bow down and worship and adore you. And so, Lord, today, I thank you for my brothers and sisters in Christ, Lord, anew and afresh. Show us uh, how you would have us to respond, but Lord, I know that we also have those with us today that are our friends that don't yet know you. And Lord, I pray even right now, the Holy Spirit himself is working on their hearts to help them to recognize what it means to be a sinner. Lord, they would recognize they're not okay, that, Lord, they are currently under your wrath, and they need a relationship with you, because you are the way, you are the truth, you are the life, and no man, no woman, no boy, no girl will come to the Father except through you. So, Lord, I pray that we would see salvation in this place today. Lord, we love you. It's in Jesus' name that we pray. Amen. I'm sure most of us in here this morning have had someone in our lives that we've looked up to. We all need those people in our lives that we can, that we can kind of follow, that we can use as an example. And uh, I'm sure some of us in here have got an older brother or an older sister. And I'm sure that if you've got an older brother or sister, in some way, uh, you, you probably looked up to them. And you probably kind of used them as, a, as an example of, of how you should do things growing up. And, and I watched my sister, and she was an excellent student, and and she was uh, excellent in all the things that she, that she did extracurricularly. And, and I, I wanted to be like that. And so five years older than me, I got to see how she did things in, in middle school and how she did things in high school and how she did things in college. And, and I, I wanted to follow and I wanted to, to do my best. You know, one of the reasons being is because I was following her and, and I wanted to do that. And all of us have people like that. Maybe it wasn't a brother or sister. Uh, may, you know, maybe it's somebody at work who has taken the time 
to come and, and to mentor you and to help you along professionally. Uh, maybe it's, it's someone else in your family who has taken the time to come alongside you and, and you watch them live their life and you see uh, what kind of man they are, what kind of woman they are, and you go to them to get sound advice. Or maybe it's somebody inside of our church family and you, you just thank the Lord for them because they've come and they've, they've discipled you and they've helped you to grow spiritually and helped you to become mature in, in your walk of faith. And so we need examples. All of us do, but we all need those examples to look to and to follow as a kind of pattern for our lives. But it seems that we sometimes have a tendency to become isolated, and that's never a good thing. When we begin to pull away from others, we need people in our lives who will inspire us, who will motivate us, who will challenge us, and yes, at times, who will convict us when that is needed. If we don't have anyone in our life who will push us forward, especially spiritually, to grow and, and to advance in our walk with Christ, we will we'll be likely to stray, and we're likely to, to stay stagnant and shrivel up in our faith. But here in Matthew chapter 2, we're given an example of how to respond, how to respond to the coming of the King Jesus. We've been preparing our hearts over the last few weeks, and we began by looking at the example in the life of Joseph, and then last week we looked at the example in the life of Mary. And so we've been getting our hearts ready, and I believe this week as well that the Lord has given us an example. And perhaps you've come this morning and, and you're wondering how to respond to Christmas this year and, and, and what God would require of you this year and how this year is going to be any different than last year or the year before. Well, Matthew's going to set an example before us of how we are to respond to the coming of Jesus. And the example is going to come from a very unlikely group of people. And so if you will, please stand with me in honor of the reading of God's Word. And we're going to look at Matthew 2 and look at those first 12 verses together. Now when Jesus was born in Bethlehem of Judea in the days of Herod the king, behold, there came wise men from the east to Jerusalem, saying, Where is he that is born king of the Jews? For we have seen his star in the east, and we are come to worship him. And when Herod the king had heard these things, he was troubled, and all Jerusalem with him. And when he had gathered all the chief priests and the scribes of the people together, he demanded of them where the Christ should be born. And they said unto him, In Bethlehem of Judea, for, thi for thus it is written by the prophet, And thou, Bethlehem, in the land of Judah, art not the least among the princes of Judah, for out of thee shall come a governor that shall rule my people Israel. Then Herod, when he had privately called the wise men, inquired of them diligently what time the star appeared. And he sent them to Bethlehem, and he said, Go, and search diligently for this young child, and when ye have found him, bring me word again, that I may come and worship him also. And when they had heard the king, they departed, and lo, the star which they saw in the east went before them till it came and stood over where the young child was. And when they saw the star, they rejoiced with exceeding great joy. And when they were come into the house, they saw the young child with Mary his mother, and they fell down and worshipped him. And when they had opened their treasures, they presented unto him gifts, 
gold and frankincense and myrrh. And being warned of God in a dream that they should not return to Herod, they departed unto their own country another way. You may be seated. The first thing I want you to see here is what we see in the hearts of the Magi. And that is excitement for the new king. Excitement for the new king. And we need some context here before we move forward. Herod is the king of Israel at the time of Jesus' birth. And I think we're all clear that this is the king known as Herod the Great. He was not Jewish by birth, but the Romans nonetheless had made him king of Judah in 40 BC. And so Herod the Great has had a great amount of time to become very comfortable sitting upon the throne. He was a bloodthirsty, ruthless man who historians tell us ended up killing three of his own sons on suspicion of treason. He put to death his favorite wife of his ten wives. He killed one of his mothers-in-law. He drowned a high priest. He killed several uncles and a couple of cousins. He was, by definition, a paranoid king, afraid of losing his power. So not surprisingly here, news of another king laying claim to the throne did not sit well with King Herod. And we're told that there are wise men. Now, who were these so-called wise men? Who were these magi? To clarify a few things, these were magi. There's no indication that there were three of them. We know that there was more than one because it speaks of them in a plural sense, but we don't know the exact number. Uh, These men are not kings, as we sometimes sing about. They were certainly not that. But these men were not necessarily even wise. Uh, Not not necessarily in in terms of, uh, of being wise. We're not sure if that's really who they were, but we do know they were magi. They were astrologers and magicians who interpreted the stars and people's dreams and also would oftentimes dabble in magic arts. It's likely that these men were Gentiles from Persia. It is well documented that ancient astrologers in Persia had an intense interest in the stars and an intense uh, interest in the meaning of the stars and the movement of the stars. And it was believed in this era that stars heralded human beings who were destined for greatness. Now, we sort of think about that, those same kind of terms even today. Because you'll see a, a young person, and people will say, oh, look at her, and look at her talent. She's going to be a star. Or we'll talk about a, a boy, and we'll say, look at his, look at his athletic talents. Look at, look at the, the way he, he, can, he can do football or basketball or whatever else. And it's gonna, he's going to be a star. And so we still talk in those terms even today. But they knew the Bible. And these men also knew the Old Testament. And they knew the Old Testament prophecies that predicted the coming of Christ, of the Messiah. And so they made the trip from where they lived to Jerusalem. And it probably took a considerable amount of time. And so these men didn't come the very day that Jesus was born or even a few days after. No, a, a trip of this distance probably took at least several months until these men were able to come to where Jesus was. These men, perhaps 
naively first went to Jerusalem and began to ask about the coming of Jesus. They didn't realize that the king and most of Jerusalem, they weren't ready for the king. They weren't looking for the king and they certainly weren't ready for the king. These are pure seekers of the king of the Jews. These magi from the east are seeking where the king is. They heard that the king of the Jews was going to be born and they came to worship him. This is simple and sincere faith. They represent a proper response to the coming of Jesus. But also we see they're coming uninvited. And I love how they make this journey. They make it without a birth announcement in hand that they have been given no formal invitation to come, but they come nonetheless. And I wonder, have, have you ever been in the awkward situation of wanting to go to a particular wedding or wanting to go to a particular party that's getting ready to happen, but for some reason you haven't gotten a formal invitation and, and it wasn't put in the church bulletin and you're just not sure what you should do. And, and maybe it's, it's one of those weddings and you're thinking, you know, I've got, I've got some close friends and and they were invited, and, and they've told me to just come along anyway, but, but you're just not sure if you should show up, because wouldn't it be awkward to show up uninvited? These magi don't concern themselves with that. They don't care that they haven't been invited. They don't care that no formal invitation has been sent. They are looking, they are seeking the king, and they want to celebrate his birth. But secondly... We see hatred for the new king. Hatred for the new king. It seems while the wise are excited and seeking, the paranoid are enraged. Notice what the wise men say to Herod. Where is he who has been born king of the Jews? They don't say he who will become king of the Jews. No, they ask, where is the one who is presently king of the Jews? They assume, they believe that Jesus was the legitimate king of Israel. Naturally, this doesn't go over well with Herod, who was already paranoid about losing his power. And here come these men from the east, who study the stars, and they say there's something going on, and we've been told there is a new king in town. Not all of Jerusalem was excited about this king being born, and here's why. It's because of Herod's response. Matthew chapter 2, those verses 3 through 6, when Herod the king had heard these things, he was troubled. Think about what that means, Herod being troubled. What, what happened when Herod got troubled? Somebody lost their head. Herod is troubled, and all of Jerusalem with him, for good reason. And when he had gathered all the chief priests and the scribes of the people together, he demanded of them where Christ should be born. And they said unto him, In Bethlehem of Judea, for thus it is written by the prophet, And now Bethlehem in the land of Judea art not the least among the princes of Judah, for out of thee shall come a governor that shall rule my people Israel. Herod devises a plan for dealing with this situation. And his plan is much like every other plan. It was going to end with someone dying. And so 
he summons all the chief priests and scribes to get to the bottom of it. And he was a thorough man. He wanted to know exactly where Jesus was going to be born. And so he gathers as many as he can, all the experts to weigh in on the situation. And as he brings all the experts of the law together, all the experts of the prophecies together, they tell him the ancient prophecies prophesy that Jesus, the Messiah, will be born in Bethlehem of Judea. They've pinpointed it. They know exactly where he is. That's where he will be born. These Jews knew the Bible. And they knew the Bible very, very well. And they presumably believed the Bible. They believed that if if God said Messiah was going to be born in Bethlehem, that that's exactly where he was going to be born. They believed in Jesus. That they did not believe Jesus. You see, they believed that he would come, but they did not trust in him. They did not put their faith in him when he did come. And conversely, these Gentile magi from Persia, they did trust in Jesus. They made a trip of months, a costly trip to them, a dangerous trip for them. Why? Because they believed in who Jesus was. And they wanted to come and they wanted to worship him. And that's the problem with the Jews here. That's why intellectual belief is is not saving faith. Believing that Jesus exists. Believing a bunch of facts about Jesus. Will never be enough to save a single soul. Simply believing that he existed, simply believing that that he did some amazing things is not enough to save you from your sins. Because that's the kind of belief that the unbelieving Jews had. They believed that he would come to Bethlehem. That's where he'd be born. They believed all these facts, all these things that the prophecies had said, but they did not trust in Jesus. So we see that Herod continues by... a devising a way to find some spies. Well, who were Herod's spies? Look at verses 7 and 8. Then Herod, when he had privately called the wise men, inquired of them diligently what time the star appeared, and he sent them to Bethlehem, and he said, Go and search diligently for the young child, and when you have found him, bring me word again that I may come and worship him also. Herod sets in motion here a plan to gain access to this so-called newborn king of the Jews. Rather than sending out military bands, he decides to go another way by sending magi from the east to be his spies. Undercover agents would be less conspicuous, he thought. Although astrologers from the east, they wouldn't have gone unnoticed. Nonetheless, King Herod commissions them as his unofficial spies, and the Magi don't suspect any evil motives in any of it. Not at least at this point. But thirdly, I want you to see them following a star to the newborn king. Following a star to the newborn king. It's a mysterious star. We spend a lot of time focused on the star, don't we? In verses 9 and 10 it says, And when they had heard the king, and they departed, and lo, the star, which they saw in the east, went before them, till it came, and it stood over where the young child was. And when they saw the star, they rejoiced with exceeding great 
joy. What's important here? What's important in these two verses? As the Magi head from Jerusalem to Bethlehem, they see the star return to the night sky and they rest over the place where Jesus was born. In other words, it moves and it stops. And so the question comes to mind, what kind of star moves and stops? There are several theories about what this star was, many opinions. So let's think about a few of them. Some think that it was a comet. And comets are small, they're icy solar system bodies that are made visible when they come close to the sun. But unfortunately, Halley's Comet appeared in 12 or 11 BC, so it couldn't have been Halley's Comet. And there is no record of a massive comet at the turn of the millennia, so it probably wasn't a comet. Other opinions say that it was the movement of planets, specifically Jupiter and Saturn, in conjunction with one another so that they appear in line as they line up with one another and they produce a solar abnormality that is visible from Earth. A third option is that there was a nova in the sky or perhaps a supernova. And these occur when a star basically is overloaded with energy, with gas and fuel until it explodes. And they leave behind a bright burning light or what is called a neutron star. So what was this star? Here is my expert opinion. It was a star. There's a lot of theories. Some may be helpful in understanding what it was, but ultimately, you know what God said it was? A star. So I think I'm going to take his word for it. Matthew calls it a star, and that's what I'm going to call it. It was a star. And if God can create all the stars, and if God can create all the galaxies and all the planets, then God can light up the night sky to announce the birth of his son with whatever star he wants to put in the sky. How did he lead the Israelites for 40 years? The Shekinah glory of God coming down in the pillar of fire. Can God not put a star exactly where he wants it to be in the night sky to say, here, here's my son, he's right here. He's right here and he's the savior of the world and I want you to know it, I want you to see it. It's a star. How God was able to direct them to the exact place of Christ is a mystery. It's a beautiful mystery. And God wants us to just understand that it is a star. But the star is not the point. We get so hung up on the star. But the star is not the point. Do we worship stars? In our nation, yeah. But we're not supposed to. Look at what it says. Here's the important part. And it produced great joy. The best thing about the star is not where it was or what it was or all those things. The most wonderful, the most amazing thing was that the sight of that star, it produced great joy. You see, these men rejoiced, it says, with exceeding great joy when they saw it. That's like saying, I am happily happy, or I am happy with exceeding happiness. It's, it's joy, smothered in joy, sprinkled with joy, with a cherry of joy on top. It is amazing joy that it's being spoken of here. Why? Because they saw the star. Now, what would cause them seeing a star to produce exceedingly great joy? The appearance of the star is not the point of the story. 
The point of the story is that there was joy, great joy, because of the anticipation of what it pointed to in the birth of the newborn King whose name is Jesus. Jesus brings exceedingly great joy. And so, it's not about the physical event. It's not about about the star in the sky. It's not about magi. It's not about shepherds. It's about Jesus. And Jesus brings great joy. It's about the proper response when we come into the presence of the King. Every star points to Christ. You see, the reality is that every star in the sky points to the greatness and the beauty and the majesty of King Jesus who created them. The psalmist says, The heavens declare the glory of God, and the skies above proclaim His handiwork. This star over over Bethlehem is an extension of God's amazing creation. He is demonstrating His beauty and His power to this world. And notice that they did not worship the star They were led by the star to Jesus. And Jesus is then the one whom they worshipped. And this demonstrates to all of us that all things in the created world are designed and they're meant to lead us to Jesus. That we might worship Him and Him alone. Beautiful stars. Beautiful sunrises. Beautiful sunsets. The snow that falls. the, The beauty of the flowers in the spring. All of those things are meant to point us to the Savior. But lastly, I want you to see our response, responding to the newborn king. The Magi worshiped Jesus. Look at verse 11. And when they were come into the house, they saw the young child with Mary, his mother, and they fell down and they worshiped him. And when they had opened their treasures, they presented unto him gifts, gold and frankincense and myrrh. Notice what these strange men from the east did when they see Jesus. They worshipped him. Worshipped. W-O-R-S-H-I-P. Matthew does not say that they gave him respect. He doesn't say that they paid him homage. They worshipped him. Anytime a human being is worshipped as God in the Bible, it is always condemned. The Apostle Paul and Peter are worshipped at different times during their ministry. And each and every time they said, No, stop what you're doing. Do not worship me. I am not a God, much less the God. You do not worship me. You worship Christ. When the angels were worshipped, they said, No, you must not worship me. This is not right. Worship Christ. Jesus is the one who receives worship. When Jesus is worshipped, he never says, No, don't do that. He always receives it. He always receives worship. He always accepts it because worship is rightly directed towards Christ. Because he is God and he is worthy of worship and he demands worship. And listen, Brinesburg, we are happier when we are worshiping him. When we stop worshiping ourselves, when we stop worshiping our stuff, when we stop worshiping all these other things that the world has thrown at us that could be worshipped with our time and our energy and our monies. We are happier when we are worshiping Him and Him alone. And notice also, Mary does not stop the Magi from worshiping. There's no indication that these men should not have worshipped Jesus. In fact, it's just the exact opposite. 
Matthew is pointing out on purpose that these Gentiles from a faraway land worshipped. They, uh, they perhaps had come from hundreds of miles to worship a baby who was born of a peasant girl in a stable. Matthew wants us to worship Jesus as well. And that's the point of the story. And so, what is the proper response when we come before Jesus? The answer, very simply, worship. Matthew is telling the story of a magi for a purpose. He's using these men as an example of how we too are to respond to Jesus. Whether we be Jew or Gentile, we are to worship. We are to worship him. The question this morning is, do we worship Jesus? Are you presently worshiping Jesus with your life? If people looked at the way you live your life, would they think that you worship Jesus? Or would they have to assume that you worship something else? The question is not, do you believe that that really happened? Because sometimes that's what we get into, these arguments. Do you really believe that Jesus was born of a virgin? That's just so silly. Why would you believe such? And we say, yeah, I, I believe that happened. But do we really not just believe that the, the physical things happened, but do we worship, do we serve, do we love the Lord Jesus Christ? Because if we do, then the other is very easy for us to talk to people about. Do we really believe to the place of worshiping Him and loving Him and serving Him and giving Him our entire life? See, because Christians are not simply those who believe in Jesus. No, Christians are those who know and love and trust and worship Jesus. Christianity and Christmas are really about worship. And we do not worship blindly. We worship Jesus because of who he is. He is the creator of the world. He holds all things together by the word of his power. He is the light of the world. He is our advocate who goes before the Father and prays for us. He is the substitute who takes our sins from us. He is the only righteous, perfect human being who has ever lived. He never sinned. He never broke a single commandment of God. And he gives us his perfection and righteousness. He is the sustainer of our salvation who causes us to endure in our faith. He is the bridegroom of the church. And he will cleanse and purify us and present us holy and blameless at the end of the age. He is the shepherd who lays down his life for the sheep, but also he is the sheep who has led to the slaughter in our place. And through him we have attained eternal life and eternal joy in the presence of God the Father. So what's the proper response this Christmas? It's to worship. Worship Jesus Christ this Christmas. Oh, come, let us worship. Let us bow down. Let us kneel before the Lord our Maker, for He is our God, and we are the people of His pasture and the sheep of His hand. And so, if you already have a relationship with Christ today, worship Him. Give Him your whole heart, your whole life. But if you do not yet know Him as Savior and Lord, make this the first real Christmas that you can celebrate. Because it's the first time that you have accepted Christ and He's come into your heart and your life and truly been your Savior and your Lord. Today, if you've recognized that you've sinned, if you've recognized that you've tried to fill that God-shaped hole in your heart with a lot of different things and it's not worked, this morning, if you recognize the only way for you to be forgiven of your sins is to accept the fact that Jesus came, that He died on the cross to pay your sin debt, 
that he was dead and buried in the grave for three days, that on that third day, because he is God, he arose from the grave victorious. If you will place your faith and your trust in him and say, Lord, I want to serve you for the remainder of my life. I want you to be my Lord, my Savior. If you're willing to make that commitment today, you can be saved. If that's you today, if you know that you need to make that decision, here in a few moments as we begin to sing, I invite you to come and we'll answer your questions, but we'd love for you to make that decision firmly in your heart to accept Christ. Lord, Heavenly Father, we thank you. We thank you for the example from an unexpected group of men called Magi. Lord, the example of the proper response when we come into the presence of you, King of kings and Lord of lords, it is to bow down and worship and to give you our all. Lord, I pray that if there's even one today that does not yet know you as Savior and Lord, that December 17th of 2017 would be the day that they accept you as Savior and Lord. Lord, I pray that this same day might be the day that some of us repent of sin and turn back to you and begin to serve you with our whole heart once again. Lord, you know what we need to do today. You know the decisions and the commitments that need to be made. Lord, you know some of us just need to lay some things down here at the foot of the altar, some things that are too heavy for us that we've been carrying for far too long. We just need to lay it down and trust you. Lord, whatever it is that we need to respond to, Lord, help us to respond by faith. For it's in Jesus' name we pray. Amen. As we stand, as we sing, be obedient. Thank you for listening to our broadcast today from Bryansburg Missionary Baptist Church. If you need spiritual help with your relationship with the Lord, please call 270-527-3757. Also, we would like to invite you to attend our services. On Sunday morning, Sunday school begins at 10 a.m. and our worship service is at 11 a.m. On Sunday evening, discipleship training begins at 5 p.m. with our worship service at 6 p.m. You may also view our Sunday worship services live on Mediacom Inspiration Channel 93. On Wednesday night, our worship service begins at 7 p.m. Once again, thanks for listening, and may God bless you and your family.